Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, your source for helping you dominate and insulate your growing practice through two pillars of success, systems and marketing. And now here's your host, Dr. Peter Bolden. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Today, I'm excited to have Michael Levin. Michael, is it Levin or Levine? It's Levin, but... Uh... Le- Levin. They got neither one right. And he's a business ghost. And Michael was introduced to me by Garrett Gunderson, who many of you guys know from the podcast and just being in the industry of dentistry. Michael, I'm super excited to have you. You're a New York Times bestselling author. You've written and co-written or ghostwritten more than 350 books, of which 15 are national bestsellers. You've appeared on ABC's Shark Tank in 2012. Most impressive, you have four children. I can say that because I have three, and I don't know how adding one more to the mix would be possible, but uh, you've obviously done it. And um, I also read, Michael, that you have completed 34 long-distance races, which is something I'm a big fan of, 14 marathons, six triathlons, 12 half marathons, two duathlons, all this since your 44th birthday. Is that accurate? Yeah, I, I, listening to all that, I need a nap, Peter. That sounds like- That's awesome. You know, that's just even, you know, sometimes I start having, I'm 41, so I start having the whole age conversation myself, like, oh, well, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do this. And then I hear stories like that of guys like you, and I'm like, this is awesome. There's so much more upside from this point forward, you know? And then you also got your black belt at age 54. Yeah, my kids, uh, thank you for what you said about my kids. I really appreciate that. And yeah, my boys were doing Taekwondo, so I would drive them. They were about nine, eight, nine when they started. Oh, that looks like fun. And I got into it. And uh, when I got my white belt, the master said, the grandmaster said, my goal for you is black belt. And I literally burst out laughing as I was standing there and they were tying the white belt on me because I'm like, nah, I, that's not me. I can't do that. But I also cannot do marathons, and I've done a bunch of. When I was in my, when I, you know, like late thirties, early no, or, yeah, it was I was forty four when I did my first try, and I'm looking over, and they, you know, you rack your bike by age group, and I'm looking over at the guys in their fifties and their late fifties and their sixties, and these guys are cut, and they've got bodies like twenty year olds, and I'm like, I want to be them one day, and. You know, the trick is just, you know, you just stay. I'm going to, I'm going to do a half this, uh, this weekend in London, half marathon. And, you know, you just stay after it. And, uh, you know, age is, uh, it's less of a factor than, um, you know, I mean, the one thing I'm always thinking when I'm out there is I'm, you know, I'm, I'm too old for this, you know what, but you know, you just, you just stay after it and it's fun. You know, it's very appropriate. I was just listening actually to a podcast with Laird Hamilton and he was saying that his biggest coach and mentor, the guy is 82 years old now and I can't, now his name's escaping me, but he said that literally he rides bikes all day long and he will hammer you. He does hella, hella skiing at 82. And so it is just super cool to know that like, that you're right. Age is just, just a number. And that's awesome. So you, you've been inspirational to me, even from that standpoint right away. And I'm looking forward to jumping into, you know, the topic of, of basically you own a company called Business Ghost. And so you do, you help people or ghost write and help get them to the standpoint of writing a book. Is that right? Yeah. It's basically people know that they would love to have a book. I think it's the dream of most people, or at least that's been my experience running this business now for, you know, 23 years. And the question becomes, how do you do it? How do you go up that learning curve? How do you make it happen? And especially, how do you find the time to do it? So what we've done at Business Ghost is create a path for people to become published authors in basically an hour a week for eight to 10 weeks. And it sounds crazy, but we've done it 350 times. So it's kitchen test that the process works. Yeah. So 
you know, this podcast obviously is to dentists, like I discussed kind of before I hit record. And so a lot of people would be like, you know, they may say, well, I'm, I'm not going to write a book. Like, who would I write a book to? And you're right. I think it is a longstanding dream of a lot of people. I definitely have been an advocate of always wanting to do it. And I looked into the process and it looks so daunting. How do you kind of help? Obviously, it's the world in which you live in. What does the process look like when you find someone who wants to write a book? Well, the key to it is that you don't actually do any writing. And we do that. We've had a lot of experience with dentists. The first thing we ever did in the world of dentistry is Gary Cady's book, Million Dollar Dentistry. A lot of people in your world are familiar with that book and familiar with Gary, Next Level Practice. Yeah, I'm very familiar with him. Yeah, so, I mean, he's just a special guy. He's been a very dear friend. We've done four books over the, I guess, 10 years since that first one came out, and that sold tens of thousands of copies. So I learned a lot about dentists from Gary, and one of the things I learned is that it's a very crowded marketplace. And the question becomes, how do you distinguish yourself in a crowded marketplace without resorting to cost cutting? Because if you're trying to compete on price, you're not going to survive. There's always going to be somebody who's going to undercut you on price. There's always going to be some corporate dentist out there who has to undercut you on price because he has no choice. Uh, there's always going to be some chain that's going to uh, you know, drill and fill and bill for, look at me tossing off uh, dentist uh, phrases for, you know, for no money. And you can't win that way. So basically, as Michelle Obama said, when they go low, you have to go high. <laughs> the question becomes, how do you present your, I'm not getting into politics, but the question becomes, Please you know, what's the question? <laughs> would not dream of it. But the, question, but the question becomes, how do you make your practice huge? No, the, the serious question is, how do you make your practice stand out? When there are, you know, it's so funny. I, I had to get a crown taken care of about two months ago, and I, my wife gave me the dentist's name, and I couldn't remember it. So I figured I'll just Google it, Dentist Beacon Street, Brookline, Mass. And there were dozens within a block of this guy. And I finally tracked him down. Hey, you're my dentist. But, you know, it all comes down to how do you stand out? So when you, when, when you talk about a book, you actually touched upon the most important first question, which is, who am I writing to? Because everything today is niche. Everything. There's no such thing as a mass audience. You know, five out of six people don't watch the Oscars. Two out of three don't watch the Super Bowl. NASCAR is a big niche. But, you know, 250 million Americans couldn't care less. So everything is a niche. And the question becomes, who is your audience? Who are you trying to influence? Is it current patients to get them to come back? Is it current patients to get them to refer? Is it potential new patients who might have fear of coming to the dentist and you're trying to get them in for the first time? Is it all three? Are there specialty services that you offer that other people don't? Some dentists love complex cases. They live for it, and they, their idea of a great weekend is when they can go off to a seminar and just study the heck out of a particular difficult process procedure, and then they're chair-side, they're doing that, and they're loving it. So when the patient comes to your office, they don't know anything. They may know nothing about you. They may know nothing about what makes you tick, what makes you unique. So the question is, the first starting point is, who are you writing to? And this actually asks you to determine what is really the, the best makeup for my practice? What kind of people in a perfect world would I be, would I be working with? Whom would I be serving? And so before we actually write a word, that's the primary exercise. It's just sort of talking through, 
Are you happy with your current clientele? Are they the kind of people you want to be working with? Are you doing the kind of dentistry you wish you were when you graduated uh, dental school? Is this where you hoped you'd be? Is this where you dreamt you'd be? And if not, then let's write a book that targets specifically the niche audience you want to speak to and serve. Let's do a book for them so that they come to your door. Totally. So it is It is about the authority, the credibility, the expertise. And I think some people would would fall on that, you know, everyone gets a little insecure when it's like, well, I, you know, maybe I'm not those things. And maybe, you know, so I have a big saying in my life, like kind of make fake it until you make it right. And like, so maybe just because you're not the number one doesn't mean that you're not valid enough to write this authoritative book. Is that accurate? Yeah, I don't even understand what number one means in this context, because I want a dentist, when I had that crown, as I said, I wanted a dentist who really loves dentistry and loves to get in there and just do an awesome, awesome job. And I, I actually asked my dentist a question. I don't think anybody, any patient has ever asked me, I said, why'd you go into dentistry? He said, well, I'm, I'm good with my hands and I like to serve people. I like to help people. And I thought that was fascinating. That's what I want. Now, there are, you know, 20 other dentists in, in Brookline, you know, within within three quarters of a mile of his office. There are probably 10 others in his building. So wouldn't I be more inclined to go to him if I knew that his starting point for going to dentistry was that he was really good with his hands and he liked to serve people? I mean, I just think that's interesting. It's just a small example. But Gary taught me, told me something about dentists that you know, you're talking about, well, what if I'm not, not number one? Gary said that, you know, that there's a big difference between dentists and doctors. One of them is that medical doctors have much more prestige. And the thing is that because of the way our healthcare system is going, dentists ironically see patients for much longer and for more often than medical doctors do. So dentists ought to be perceived, and your healthcare begins in your mouth. So dentists should be perceived as the primary health care providers in this country, and yet they're not. And the question is why? And one thing Gary told me that I found kind of, and I know and we'll get back to ghostwriting in a second, but is that often, you know, who is a doctor? Well, you know, that person's father was a doctor. That person's grandfather was a doctor. The person comes from an affluent background, and of course they're going to medicine. They went to top schools their whole career, top prep school, top college or university, top medical school, best fellowships. So there's a certain swagger or arrogance even to people who think of medicine. He said, who's a dentist? He said, dentists are often first generation in their family to go to college. They're people who didn't necessarily have the finances to go to medical school. They might not have had the encouragement from home. Oh, of course, you'll be a doctor. You know, your father's a doctor. Your grandfather's a doctor. Your mother's a doctor. You know, your cat's a doctor. You know, why won't you? So he said, so Gary pointed out to me, and I never, I never understood this. And then, and then everybody, you know, everybody hates to go to the dentist. It's something you put off. It's something that, you know, until you really truly grasp the importance of, of oral care and of having a healthy mouth, you don't get it and you don't want to go. And dentists labor under this sort of burden of almost low self-esteem compared to doctors. So you know, one of Gary's mess messages is that you've got to – here I'm doing a big commercial with Gary, but it's true. He said, he, he, you know, he's all about teaching dentists to swing out and to own their greatness. It's hard to get through dental school. It's really hard. It's hard to build a practice, especially in today's financial environment where if people have to make a choice between putting food on the table and paying rent and going to the dentist, guess what falls off the list? 
So, you know, you're doing something really, really hard. You're doing something really, really important. So you deserve to feel great about yourself. And you get to define the niche audience you serve however you want to. It's people within five to seven miles of my office who want X, Y, and Z and who expect A, B, and C. And the way you define your niche, of course you're number one in your niche. No one else could possibly compete with you because, well, if you're number one, you really have no competition. And if you're defining your audience, if you're defining your niche to start off, instead of just sort of opening up the door and hoping that people come in, which is how most people, not just dentists, but most people in all professions go about it, well, you know, you're way ahead of the game if you say, this is my audience, these are the people I serve, these are the parameters. If it doesn't work for somebody, it's okay. The money will come in somewhere else. And the universe will, uh, you know, to get to left coast and woo-woo on you, but the, the universe is going to reward you for making a stand and saying, this is what I deserve and this is how I serve. So that's really the starting point when you're thinking about a book or you're thinking about your practice in general. I mean, who am I to preach to dentists about how they ought to think about their practices? But I've worked with a bunch of you guys. I've done a bunch of books for dentists all over the country and then the four for Gary. So I have a little bit of insight into this world and I guess – Peter, that's why we're talking. Yeah, you sure do. And, and you know, honestly, to jump back on the Gary thing, he, he has been a huge advocate, obviously, of of accelerating the um, the position of the dentist through the complete, you know, the, the uh, uh, what am I trying to say, complete body baseline and, and basically the oral systemic connection and how it relates. And so he's been a huge advocate. And, and, you know, yeah, I think he's done a lot for the profession as a whole, bringing awareness for sure. So I'm glad that you mentioned him. So going back to kind of, you know, who should be writing this book, obviously we've established that almost that really everybody should. I think every entrepreneur probably should, you know, not just a dentist. And as as dentists, most, you know, we are all, a lot of us are owners, therefore uh, owners of a business, therefore we're entrepreneurs. Yes, we're trained in a craft and a skill, but at the same time, half of us has to do the business aspect. And I think that writing a book really behooves you on a whole lot of levels and it probably makes you a little bit better along the process. Do you see that, Michael? Like, meaning that, do you understand what I mean by that? I do. I mean, I've had clients tell me, I didn't really understand what I did until you came along, meaning that they weren't quite sure what their process was because it's only when somebody says, you know, walk me through your process that they suddenly realize, oh, you know something, this is, there's a gap here. We need to fix that over there. And so how do other dentists do it? Then I tell them what I know. So Again, like I'm a big, you know, guru, but I mean, I know something. So it definitely sort of tightens your game when you're thinking it through. But the main thing about a book is that it sounds terrifying. It sounds like, you know, it's so funny. The way people feel going to the dentist, that's how, you know, dentists feel going to the dentist. <laughs> it's true. It's a good parallel. I'm equally as frightened to write a book. <laughs> this won't hurt a bit. <laughs> Seems very invasive, writing a book, right? So just like going to the dentist, right? That's funny. Yeah, it's not quite. Look, this is how it works. You'll spend an hour to an hour and a half on the phone with me, and this is something that I and only I do on my team. We'll plan the book together. Again, who's the audience? What next step do you want them to take with you? And then what body of knowledge in your head? Because it's not about research. It's just about who you are and what you know. What body of knowledge in your head would convince people in that niche audience to take that next step with you if only they knew all you know? If only they knew how – I mean, look, everybody has a website, but everybody's websites look alike. And a lot of folks in dentistry could – you know, it's like somebody – like the website fairy could come in, switch out 
your website with your competitor's website or the, you know, the guy down the block and neither of you would know it for months because, you know, because all the dentist's websites tend to kind of look the same. So if that's not going to set you apart, and in fact, if that's just going to commoditize you, well, that's why you want the book, because now here's something that explains who you are, what you stand for. I was talking about, pra- about process. We get the table of contents done, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, etc., in one hour to an hour and a half. And about 45 minutes into the call, I'm actually delivering to you the table of contents via email. And, you know, just based on our conversation, we spend the second half of the call just polishing it. Then we wrap it up either in another phone call or, or an email a few days later. Now we've got a roadmap for your book. At that point, I have a team of 25 writers. Some of them have extensive experience writing books for dentists. I would turn you over at that point to the person on our team who is best suited to do the interview. And all we need is an hour a week. I like to say that we only work with people who are too busy to talk to us. If you've got 10 hours a week to talk to us, you've got bigger issues than I need a book. You know, your practice is uh, going a little uh, sideways there. But you know, everybody's got an hour for something important. And the other thing is that books are not long today. People's attention spans have shriveled because of technology, the Internet, social media, so texting, tweeting. So instead of look at the president, oh, I went political. So whether you like him or not, he, he keeps it brief. So that's how people like it today. We do books for our clients so that are 100 to 150 pages, sometimes 85 pages, sometimes 60 pages. It's amazing, and it's, it's bound the same way a bigger book is bound. It's got a spine. It's got a cover. You can do a hardcover, paperback, either way. The thing is that when you've got a book, it's amazing how much you can say in 80 to 85 pages. Now, if let's talk about a 100-page book, 8, 12-page chapters. We only need an hour a week to get the information from you for each chapter. In other words, eight weeks from the day you start the interviewing process, the interviewing process is done. And we've delivered to you every chapter within 10 days to two weeks of the call that you had that interview for the chapter. So we're able to tell, you're able to tell immediately, does it sound right? Does it sound like you? If it sounds like us, we failed. If it sounds like you, we succeeded. Is everything where it needs to be? And then you give us feedback immediately. I like this. I hate that. Do more of this. Do less of that. By the time we're delivering the second or third chapter, it actually feels like a second or third draft because we're in your head. And then you have the confidence as you do the remainder of the interview calls to share information with us because you know that we're going to put it in the right order and turn it into a chapter that sounds great and sounds like you. And so our clients sometimes say, how do I prepare for the calls? And I say, you don't have to. You've been preparing your whole your whole career. So that's basically it. Then we do a final draft and final revision with you. And then we do the publishing for you. We do the cover design, the interior design, the interior layout, ISBN number, copyright in your name, of course, barcode, pricing, how to get blurbs, physical production of the book, setting it up with a printer, putting it on Amazon, putting it on barnesandnoble.com so that you can do a book signings in brick and mortar Barnes and Nobles if you want to. And then we give you the phone number for the printer so that you can order as many or as few copies as you want, whenever you want, without any surcharge from us. Our fees are basically dependent on the size of the book. If people are interested, you know, I'm not going to get into fees on, on this conversation. You know, we're happy to share them with, with, with anyone who's interested. But we don't – once that's it, it, that's it. There are no extras. There are no upsells. There are no cross-sells. There's no nothing. It's just work made for hire, which means you own it. You own the copyright. If you get speaking as a result of the book, we don't share your speaking fees. 
And now that you've got a book, you can go and publicize yourself in ways that most other dentists can't. The other person is a dentist. You are an authority. When you're an author, you're an authority. You can go on television and discuss the latest development in healthcare or how how uh, the revision of the ACA is going to affect dentistry or whatever it is. You can be taught. You can call reporters and send them copies of your book and say, "Hey, if you need an authority on, on the subject in the area, here I am." And then you become the go-to guy for Channel Seven in your community. You can get you can hire a publicist and get all kinds of magazine and newspaper coverage. You can do a thousand. You can put it on your website. So and, and offer it for uh, for free uh, as a PDF as a download in exchange for their email address. They don't even give give you their name, just their email. Now you've got their email address, and you can drip market. You can put them into a newsletter. You can do whatever you want with them, and they've got your book. The other thing I'll just say one more thing is that the other thing that's magical about a book from a marketing perspective is that now the prospect, the prospective patient, becomes your greatest advocate. And becomes part of your sales force because now, well, let me put it this way: in my marriage, and you mentioned I have four kids. I've been married about 16, 17 years, but I, I better know that by October 10th. I mean, what I do is I, I think about my oldest kid, and then I just add up a year, so it's 17 years. I mean, so so 17. So when I go home and I say to my wife, "Hey, I found the guy," <laughs> she kind of rolls her eyes like, "Yeah, like the last guy you found." If I can give her a book, I can say, "I found the guy, and here's his book." It's a different conversation. So your prospect becomes, I should say your prospective patient, becomes your advocate with a spouse, with, with uh, whomever you're, you're trying to uh, sell services to. And that's a huge thing because it's no longer you against the world. Now you've got, now you've got uh, one member of the marriage on your side, and now that person has a really fabulous tool with which to convince the other person. You know, it's really, as I'm sitting here talking, I'm thinking like it's, for me, it's more of a paradigm shift because originally when I started the call with you, I'm thinking, oh, maybe it's cool. It's almost like a, not an ego thing, but that would be one of the drivers for someone saying, I need to write a book because I'm so important. But the paradigm shift as you've been kind of talking is really – it's more of a marketing expense in the fact that like you're just getting distribution, authoritative, you know, out. And so I can, I can envision like dropping a stack over at the pharmacy and saying, hey, if you have anyone interested in a dentist, like here's my book. Let them, let them take it for free. You know, just like you said, a lead generation from the website's perspective. There's so many little venues that, you know, this just opens up a whole new can of, of marketing aspects. And that's obviously what this podcast is about is helping dentists kind of market effectively and standing out. And as we're talking, I can't really think of it. This is, this is amazing. This would be, this would be monumental for a lot of, a lot of dentists. Yeah, it's true. Look, when you go play golf, why don't you give the attendant in the, in the locker room 20 bucks and 10 copies of your book and just have them sitting out there and say, yeah, one of our members wrote that. You know, I, anywhere you go is a place to leave behind books. I have books in the trunk of my car. I recommend that my clients do that because you just never know when there's going to be an opportunity for you to hand, say, you know something, I've got a book on that subject. I'd like you to read. I'll be right back. You go to your car, you give them a book. We're keeping your briefcase or your, your gym bag. And you touched on something that's very, very, very important. And the question is about ego. There's a little bit of ego in having a book, and there's nothing wrong with that. The thing is that I'm told that ego stands for edging God out. I don't want to do that. But at the same, I don't want to get to, you know, to, uh, I don't want to go in that direction either. Spiritual and political. Where are we going with this, Michael? Yeah, exactly. But the thing is like this. Uh, people say, isn't it a vanity book? It was just, no. It, we don't do vanity books. We do books that are acts of service. Okay? If you do a book that's a 100-page practice for your firm, people will hate you. 
If you do a book that's 100 pages of that, and it creates value for people because you're educating them about something. They had no idea about the healthy mouth concept. They had no idea about Invisalign. They had no idea about uh, what particular services you offer. Or maybe they're thinking about a root canal is rooted in something that they went through 20, 30 years ago. They have no idea how different it is. So, you know, do people really want to read a whole book about root canal? Oh, I haven't done one yet. But the thing is that if I had a practice and that's all I did, I might very strongly consider a book about the specific things I do to take the fear out, to educate people. People are grateful to be educated. They're not grateful to be sold to what they thought they were getting a book. But I'll say this. If you created enough value over the first 95% of the book, you are entitled to a call to action that's not just a, a box with your website and phone number. Instead, what, what I often do in Tables of Contents is we'll have a last chapter called, Should We Continue the Conversation? Question mark. And that's because the reader's already talking about it in the book. The reader's saying, wow, that's interesting. I never knew that. Wow, that's fascinating. You're the guy. You're the woman. This is great. And so by the time they get to the end of the book, they're hoping that there's a way to get in touch with you. And they've got three questions in their mind. One is, am I right for your practice? And you get to define those parameters. So you get to basically have the reader uh, self-qualify in or out. That's number one. Number two, what services do you offer? They want to know. Is this, is this, do you do everything? Do you do kids? What do you do and not do? What can I expect? And the third thing is what's going to happen the first time I call or visit? Because people are always really afraid of going through some sort of manipulative sales process. So if you can explain to them, this is what's going to happen. You'll sit over here with Sally, our intake coordinator, and she's going to ask you questions. And then you're going to come in. You're going to meet our fabulous dental assistant. And, and, and she's going to spend an hour with you cleaning your teeth and really getting to know you and, and your health care. And, and tell them that. Because then they go, wow, I never had that before. That sounds fantastic. Tell them about all the extras that you spent so much money on uh, building out your beautiful office and the latest technology. Tell them what they're going to expect. And now they're going to call because they know that they're right for you and you're right for them. They know that there's a match between the services you offer and the services they need. And they know that they have nothing to fear because they know exactly what to expect. So if you can educate them for the first 95% of the book, you're performing a service. That's not a vanity book. Is there a little bit of ego having your face on the cover? Sure. Is there anything wrong with that? Not last time I checked. And then that last 5% of the book, that last maybe three to five, six pages maximum, should we continue the conversation, extended call to action? Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love that. You're adding a lot of value. And that's, you know, I don't know if you're a fan of like Gary Vaynerchuk and he talks about, you know, jeb, jeb, left hook. And so you give, give, give all the value. And then, you know, the left hook is where you ask for something or want to maybe not ask for something in this context, but you're saying, hey, you know, we could work together kind of thing. So I like, I like that the, the, your whole premise is, is, is conditioned on value and creating that value and education. And people really appreciate that. What I think was most cool to me, Michael, is when that you, you just described the whole process because it, your, your organization is truly a turnkey, right? I mean, there's all you have to commit to is kind of 
the hour, like you said, every every week for eight weeks. And that's very doable for a lot of us busy clinicians and busy practice owners. I mean, that's very doable. Yeah. Yeah. I was just saying like, you know, that, it, that it's very turnkey because I think, you know, not getting bogged down in the, okay, what happens now that I have a book and, that, and how do I get it on Amazon? How do I get a publisher? How do I get an ISBN number? Like you guys handle all of that. All of that. Look, our clients don't want a stack of pages or a word file as their final deliverable. They want books in their hands. And I like to say we only work with people who are too busy to talk to us. So people don't want to – look, it's not a good use of your time to be trying to figure out how to buy an ISBN number. That's the little number over the barcode on a book that allows it to enter the stream of commerce. And you have to have one for paperback, for hardcover, for audio, ebook. You have to have one for every edition. Doesn't that sound annoying to have to figure out where you buy them? You buy them either individually or in groups of 10. And they're a little cheaper in groups of 10. But you sit there, should I buy one? Should I buy 10? Don't you have better things to do? Is there a patient waiting? Shouldn't there be? So, you know, our attitude is let's just do it all for you. Let's just make it as simple and easy and convenient as possible. And then the other thing about us is that we're not a huge operation. A lot of the – we're kind of Goldilocks. You can go small. You hire a writer. Well, most writers don't know how to do the publishing side of things. They don't have dedicated people on their team who just publish books all day long. That's what they do for a living. And we do. And then you can go big. And there are companies that uh, charge crazy money and far more than we do, in fact. And good luck trying to get somebody on the phone with the slightest idea of what your project is. You've basically got a six-digit code and an 800 number. And, you, you know, you're, you're punching, you're trying to punch through one of those walls of, you know, our options have recently changed, dial six for this. Good luck. Good luck at, you know, at us. You've got me. You've got my cell phone because that's how it is. You've got my project manager, who is my senior editor, who's, who's, who, who runs the writing team. And you can call her or email her whenever you need to. And you've got your writer. And then you've got the publishing person. And that's it. So there's, we're here. There's accountability. Look, we have, we've done 350 books start to finish. We've done over 700 where we've either edited it or written parts of it because the client needed part of it written or whatever. And, you know, we must be doing something right if we've satisfied 700 busy, tough, demanding business people over the course of 23 years. So, so you want to go to somewhere where there's absolute accountability where you can get the people on the phone or by, get a response via an email immediately, as opposed to sort of hoping that somebody there knows what's going on with you. So that's, that's why we're successful. That's why people keep coming to us. Not just the quality of the work, but the quality of the experience. The same way when you go to a really great dentist's office, it's just all handled so smoothly. You know, the person's there on the walkie-talkie saying, you know, we've got Michael coming back. And, and then Michael's coming up to get, you know, to, and, and, and the bill is ready there. And, and the care coordinators, care coordinators already worked with you to figure out the financing. You know, there, there's just a confidence that comes from having really good processes. And it's taken us, you know, a long time to, to be great. We were good for a long time. But I think in the last 10 or 15 years, we've been, we've been consistently great. That's what our clients think. That's our reputation. So I'm talking too much. No, that's this is great. And, you know, honestly, as you're sitting here talking, I'm thinking, you know, let's just say hypothetically someone listening was like, you know what? I don't want to write anything clinical 
But I think I'm sitting here thinking like, you know, how cool would it be if I wrote a book to my daughters or, or a book about my legacy that I wanted to leave or my beliefs or something, even if it was just going to a single audience? Because I think everyone wants to have that like ep- live that epic life or communicate that epic message. So I think it applies. I'm th- sitting here thinking like, oh, I, I would want to write two books, like one to kind of my family and friends and, you know, about the lessons that I've learned or plus the stuff in dentistry. So I, I guess my question is to you is, do you find people that are, do you do some of that where they're trained in a specific craft and they'd be obviously wanting to write a book in that capacity, but they also have applicability. You know, you find them writing a book on something totally unrelated to what they do for a living. Yeah, absolutely. People come to us because they, they get to the stage in, in life where they're already successful and they're really thinking more about legacy at this point. And they look at their kids and grandkids and I mean, they could be, they, I mean, they could be young at this point, but often it's, it, 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 sometimes it's somebody who's older looking and saying, you know, my grandkids have no idea what I went through. All that, you know, I'm an ATM to them and I'm happy that I can provide and do things and put them through college or whatever. But at the same time, I'd love them to understand what it really takes to succeed. I'd love them to understand where we come from as a family you know, I mean, my daughter is in a uh, religious school and she had a, a project, a school project. It's taken about five months where they have to trace the family history back. And I really thought that, you know, once you get right to around 1900, everything else is just lost in the mists of time. And she spent five months digging and digging and she was able to trace our family roots back to the 15th century. I mean, it's, just, it's mind boggling. So the thing is that it just sort of, puts a different spring in your step when you know where you come from. And, you know, my mom is now 81 and she has some memory disorder. Uh, she knows who I am. She knows who we are. But you'll have the same conversation with her 12 times an hour. You'll take her to a concert on Monday and then by Wednesday she has no recollection that she was out. So, you know, it's tough. So about five years ago, we had one of our team members interview her and we did her book. Because I want my kids, my kids just know her as a very nice old lady who cannot really get out of the chair very easily. But she went through some amazing things in her lifetime, uh, how her family escaped uh, Europe in the war and they came over here and what, what they had to do to survive. And now we have that as a permanent legacy. And in some ways, my kids are st- some of my kids are still too young. Oh, you asked, uh, how, you know, what's the difference between three and four? Once you go from man to zone with kids, you know, it doesn't matter once they But the thing is, you know, my youngest is nine, and I don't even want her to know at this point in her life what my mom went through. But the thing is that down the road, that story will be there in full because we took the time to capture the legacy. So a lot of time, people contacted the business ghost and said, I want to give you guys as a gift for my parents. 40th wedding anniversary, or my mom is turning 65, I want to hire you guys to write her memoirs. And we do that. And the goal is not to make the Amazon bestseller list. The goal is to have a, a really beautiful record of her life. And the, and the thing is that people say, oh, well, gosh, you know, if I do that, then I have to put in the whole thing with Uncle Sid and the fire and, and the divorce. No, you get to pick and choose. It doesn't have to be exhaustive. You don't have to air all the dirty linen it's just uh, all you have to do is just pick the, the, the spots that you want to talk about that are important to the legacy. And, and that's true whether it's a business memoir or a personal memoir. A lot of times we do business memoirs for folks who, who are selling their business or selling their practice, and they want to capture the culture of it so that new hire, new patients, new team members, new investors 
all get a sense of what the culture is here and why we are unique and special. So Business Coast does a lot of those too. You know, I'm not going to keep you too much longer, Michael. I'm, I'm impressed by this, but I have one quote that's coming to mind when I'm thinking of this and, and it's something that I, I was a big Tony Robbins fan way back early on. And I think I was bored at my grandmother's house and there were some old cassettes that I listened to like literally when I was 10 years old because I had nothing else to do in the summers at her house. And I remember a quote he said, and I don't know where it was, but it said, if life is worth living, it's worth recording. And I think that alludes to kind of living an epic life. But this is totally in your wheelhouse of, you know, just recording that that epic life and all the stuff you talked about with kind of your mother. And yeah, so there's a lot of applicability for my listeners, not just from the standpoint of the clinical authoritative book, but also from the legacy and, and other niche aspects of their life. Well, I think so. That's been our experience. And I, I can just tell you that there's really, you know, there's no feeling on earth like, like holding your own book. It's not quite the same as, you know, holding your child for the first time, but it's up there. It's up there. Now you get to tell your story, whether it's a business or a personal story, the way you always wanted it told. What's that worth? And then the fact that, you know, it, it, it goes out there and, uh, and it drives so much business that the thing pays for itself so quickly. And, and it's so, you know, there's a line I love, superstars pay for themselves and super marketing tools uh, pay for themselves. And that's what this is. It's a super marketing tool as well as a little bit of an ego trip. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And it really is a, it really is a way to convince people that you are the one because now they understand you in full. And who among us does not want to be understood fully? That's really what a book does for you. I love it. I love it. As soon as we hit stop hitting record, I'm gonna I want to get offline with you and discuss next steps with you because I definitely want to do it. Are you? Uh, do you have time for a quick speed round of three questions that I ask a, a lot of my guests? Yeah, let's do it. Question one: What is what would be a favorite book that you would recommend? <laughs> and you're going to be more biased than I ask that question to everybody, and you may be a little more biased, but give some good recommendations here. Okay, Sober Dad by Michael Graubart, G R A U B A R T. It's a terrific book about parenting and. And uh, I know the author. That's number one. I'm a huge Tony guy, Tony Robbins guy also. I love his book about money. I've been reading a lot of history lately. There's an author who has written, who wrote a book called The River of Doubt about Teddy Roosevelt, Candace Millard. And she's also written books about Winston Churchill and, of all people, President James Garfield. These are just intensely compelling books. So if you want to break from all the business stuff that you have to read and all the practice stuff that you have to read, Candace Millard is my uh, new favorite author. And then I would also suggest uh, Michael Pillsbury, The Century, the, it's The Hundred Year Marathon, which is about China's intent to surpass the United States by 2049, which is 100 years after Mao's, Mao's revolution. So that's sort of a range of stuff uh, just off the top of my head. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to look into, I'm going to put all these in the show notes too, so people can find them on Amazon and easily click on. So that's, that's great. All right. Second question, your favorite productivity tool, app or software that you use every day? You know, I just started using Headspace about just over a month ago. It is a meditation app and I've always tried to meditate, but I got to tell you, this just steps up your game and it makes it easy. I cannot say enough good about it. I just and there's a 10 day free trial. If you don't like it after 10 days, they'll give you your misery back. It's a really good. Yeah, deal. I signed up for the year too, as in, and it has helped me be very intentional about taking some quiet time each morning. And I totally agree with you there. That's a great. That's a great recommendation. And no one's ever recommended that from a productivity standpoint, but it totally helps clarify and and your vision for the day. It's awesome. All right, last question. 
where do you see the future of dentistry? I know that you're not a dentist, but you have a lot of exposure to dentists and consultants in the dentistry aspect like Gary. Where do you see the future of dentistry going? I see the future, unfortunately, moving toward the domination of the field by corporate dentistry. And I say unfortunately because while there are certain benefits to that process, it's going to be harder and harder to compete economically with corporate dentistry practices because they can offer lower fees and perhaps better financing and so on. So, you know, look, I'm a big believer in the old-fashioned artisan craftsman approach. I like to think on a good day that's what I am. And I take, I don't want to work for a big company. I like being my own boss. I think most dentists love that about their practices. So I think that unless they really know how to tighten their game in terms of running their business as a business, in terms of handling their personnel well, in terms of, uh, as Gary Cady points out, keeping the commitments and promises they make to their team members, whether it's a 90, whether they're going to get a review after 90 days or whatever it is getting patients to uh, to show up and, and then not being afraid to sell and close cases and, uh, and not being afraid of uh, hearing the word no and rejection and not letting, you know, not telling people, well, let's put a watch on that when they darn well know that they really ought to do that right away and convince the patient who really will say yes if you make the compelling case. So if you do all the things that are necessary to be a successful business owner and business operator, then you will never have to worry about losing your independence. And I'm all for the independent person, almost like the New England, whatever, the you know, 19th century who's, you know, who's, who's running his own shop. And I think the future for that person is sound as long as you're willing to embrace not just the chair side part of your practice, but the business side and really own that and just knock it out of the park as a business operator so that you can be doing what you love, getting paid well, taking great care of your team, taking great care of your patients. I know I'm talking too long, but, but that's really it. It's if you want to avoid going corporate, and there's nothing wrong with it, but I'd, I'd rather go to an individual who makes his own choices or her own choices. So if you want to be that person, you got to be a business person whether you want to or not. I could not agree more. That's really the premise of kind of this entire podcast. It's not, it's not so much like the anti-corporate thing, but I think everything that you said just resonates with me on a lot of aspects. And this podcast is really geared to help fulfill that, that vision for people if they, if they want, you know, you know, basically being able to compete and stand on their own two feet versus being gobbled up by corporate takeover. So Michael, that was truly enlightening. And, and you have a lot of knowledge being a non-dentist, you know, obviously you've spent some time with some dentists, but you have way more knowledge than I was even anticipating about the industries. And I thank you so much for your time today. You've added tremendous value to our listeners. And um, like I said, I, I want to continue. You're in my conversation. We can do it offline, but I'm I'm definitely wanting to uh, proceed. So thanks again for your time today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate the listeners uh, taking time out of their busy days to uh, listen to this as well. Thank you all. Okay. Have a great day, Mike. Thanks so much for listening to Bulletproof Dental Practice with your host, Dr. Peter Bolden, online at bulletproofdentalpractice.com. We'll catch you next time.